Hi, and welcome to Take Every Thought Captive, our weekly look at the Catholic intellectual tradition and an exploration of the author's books and topics that have shaped Catholic thinking for 2,000 years. My name is Jason Gale, and I'm joined this week by Dr. Benjamin Smith, our lecturer in philosophy here at Catholic Studies Academy. And before we get started, I want to let all of our listeners know that we have two ways for them to join us here at Catholic Studies Academy. The first is to become a subscriber, where you'll have access to both courses in theology and philosophy. Uh, and you'll have access to uh, our uh, members-only forum and many different other things as well. The other option is you could just purchase the courses outright. And we've just reduced all of our courses to $47. Uh, and so for and each course is 12 to 14 parts. And uh, you can pick which ones you want, theology or philosophy. And we can, if you shoot us an email, we'll even uh, provide you with a a course of studies, if you want to kind of go through it very systematically, and we can help you with all of that. Mm -hmm. And by purchasing the courses as well, you'll have access for a lifetime to these courses. So you can go through them at your own pace, along with you'll have access to the forum as well. Also, as we get started here, I want to invite all our listeners, please be sure to hit that notification bell and please subscribe to our channel. This not only helps us out a lot, but it also keeps our content uh, fresh in front of you so you don't have to go searching for it. All right, so let's get started with today's uh, podcast. Uh, and right now, uh, we're entering Holy Week. And so we thought uh, we would visit the topic of Christ's passion. Specifically, we want to look at the question of, you know, was it necessary for Christ to suffer for our salvation? And, and why did Christ have to die? And we're going to look at this specifically through the lens of St. Thomas Aquinas, because he addresses these um uh, these questions very poignantly and uh, directly. So, Dr. Smith, uh, as we get started here, maybe you can just first let's let's point our listeners uh, where uh, does uh, Saint Thomas uh, address these questions? Where can we find uh, his writings in this? Jason, yeah. So the the most obvious place to begin is it's a very good place to begin is with uh, Thomas's treatment of uh, the passion. You know, he really starts the um, the incarnation. Uh, the passion, uh, life and passion and death and resurrection of Christ in the third part of uh, the Summa. So um, the Summa Theologia. So, you know, he starts, you know, you have that uh, strange way of dividing the Summa into the first part, the first part of the second part, the second part of the second part, and then the third part. So uh, <laughs> the, uh, this, the, um, there is a reason for that. We don't have to go into all that now, but it's sure. in the tertia pars, the third part, uh, that's where you get, you know, the most directly about uh, Christ. <clears throat> you know, Thomas's uh, view here being that, you know, he, he brings Christ in at this point because, um, you know, the, in, in the incarnation, uh, he's already treated of the Trinity. He's treated mm -hmm. of the existence of God. He's treated of uh, the morality of human action, right? So now once sort of the stage is set, right, then we can bring in the sort of, you know, God's dramatic intervention, into man's situation of sin uh, with the incarnation of Jesus Christ, right? So the kind of mission of salvation um, that characterizes the Thomist and I would also say Augustinian approach to uh, understanding um, the incarnation and passion of Christ. Very good. So, uh, so we're sense? in the yeah we're in the we're in the tertia pars, and uh, he's uh, we're he did discusses this or we're going to revolve our discussion around kind of two questions here question uh 46 and question uh 49 mm -hmm. um 
here. So, you know, to, to get us started. So we're, uh, we're looking at uh, question 46, which deals with the passion of the passion of Christ itself. Mm-hmm. You know, was it necessary for Christ to suffer for man's deliverance? You know, was it, uh, uh, were there any other possibilities? Right. You know, that's an interesting, that's a very interesting question to think about, <laughs> you know, and I think there's a, there's sure. a lot of people, sure. there's a lot of people that do think about that because during this time, because of the crucifixion is so, is, is so in front of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when we really meditate on it, it really, it really is, it seems cruel and mm-hmm. mean and w- <laughs> right. it enters your head. You know, why, why would God do this? Yes. Why, yes. why would he choose this? Was why sure. was this the, 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 the suitable means of our salvation? You know, uh-huh. it's a very interesting question. It is. It's strange. And actually, I really, uh, um, think it's important yeah. to be able to give a reason, an explanation. I mean, obviously, I mean, even just from a kind of, uh, uh, common sense, um, uh, evangelical apologetic perspective, right? Sure. Um, evangelistic, I should, I should say, uh, that, you know, the cross is such a prominent symbol of Christianity. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the crucifix is such a particular symbol of, you know, Catholic faith. Um, you need to be able to say something about it, right? <laughs> you know, like, why? why? Why is this such a... Um, uh, important symbol to us. Why? I mean, you know, on Good Fridays, we literally have the exaltation of the cross, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, which is a, um, you know, a, a time of sort of profound reverence for on uh, Good Friday, the sufferings of Christ on the cross mm-hmm. um, and his death. You I know, mean, I mean, but certainly I would, I would say, I mean, probably Jason, that Good Friday is among the most sort of uh, sober, <laughs> you know, yeah, uh, uh, liturgical services of the whole year. Yeah, even I mean, when you think of, um, you know, all of the times of of God's consolation and things mm-hmm. like that, it's it's usually not on Good Friday, um, <laughs> right. you know. And I think yeah. for for a good yeah. reason, right? You you know, or if you if sure. you listen to anything anything you read anything or you know meditate or anything like that on good friday right. you know very rarely i think do you come away feeling warm and fuzzy um right, right, you know yeah. you may have god's consolation you know in you know in the idea you know or in the 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 understanding and the realization of what he's actually done for us um but it's right. it's humbling and it's humiliating sure. on our part right sure. so um yeah. So yeah, I, I agree with you. We need to be able to answer for this uh, uh, to mm-hmm. some degree, right? Yeah, sure, sure, absolutely. Yeah, it's something I know, and this is probably true for you too. I, in my in the catechesis of my own children, I've I've sort of impressed that upon them. Like I want them to be able to know what Jesus is about more than that Jesus loves you. I mean, of course that's yes. true, right? And yeah. a very important. Okay, um, but. It's, there's just much more than Jesus loves you. I mean, the second person of the Trinity loved all of loved all of humanity prior to the incarnation, right? Uh, and um, and you know uh, you know presumably would have uh, um, uh, loved us even without the incarnation. You know, um, maybe if we'd never fallen or something. But point being is that that there is something more here than Jesus loves. Right? Yeah. Of course, Jesus loves. Us, right? um, uh, but, and that's why he went to the cross. But then again, you have to say, well, love isn't really a sufficient explanation, right? Because there's gotta be something more there, right? We don't, 
we wouldn't think that you know you somebody would cruci- get crucified to show their love yeah right? there's obviously lots of ways to show other than crucifixion <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, otherwise, yeah. I don't know how this marriage is going. Yeah, right. it would, yeah, yeah. So we, we, and and to also, you know, and we'll get into this. Uh, you know, to to think of uh, the cross, um, like you said, as an exaltation of Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it looks more like a, um, you know, a, a you know, a, um death penalty it looks more right, it looks right. like the complete opposite of mm-hmm. of anything that is exalting right it looks that's right. humiliating that's right. and that's what that's it was right. meant to be you know sure. a punishment sure. of, of humiliation and everything so mm-hmm. um so so what does thomas have to say with regards to kind of this this first question of you know was it necessary for christ to suffer uh mm-hmm. and die for the deliverance of the human race so the first thing he says and i think this is uh, I've you talk about points of meditation. Yeah. I think this is a point of meditation. Um, the uh, the the thing he says, I think that's that's so important to recognize is that he kind of makes a distinction, as St. Thomas always does, yep. between you know thinking about it absolutely right or under some condition. Mm-hmm. And absolutely speaking, this is so important. God, like the incarnation, did not have to happen. Christ did not. It was not absolutely necessary that yeah. Christ give his life for uh, our sins, right? Right. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, God is God and he can, you know, power and authority right. are his. Here, yeah, I think the, the thing you want to think about here is it wasn't a matter of justice, mm-hmm. right? I think it's the way Thomas is thinking about it, right? It would not have been unjust, right? Yeah, for God. yeah ought to save us from our sins right um uh, it wasn't owed to us right it, it right it's it's not a uh, it's not a wage that's paid to us right rather it's a grace right uh something that god freely and generously bestowed upon undeserving people right i mean he he died for us even when we were yet sinners, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Point being there, right, that we didn't deserve it, right? In fact, we deserved condemnation, right? Um, uh, but uh, God intervened right on our behalf, again, graciously. So strictly speaking, it wasn't necessary. Um, he does say, uh, you, you know, in, in several places that it was suitable. Yeah. Uh, and that the incarnation was suitable because it... Um, you know, it belongs to the good to communicate itself and God is the highest good. Mm-hmm. And so it's again, fitting, suitable, right? That means consistent with, that's a, a yeah. good way of thinking about that. Consistent with his divine essence and divine goodness. But that does not import necessity. It imports right. necessity, uh, it was consistency, right? That God is acting with consistent with his essence and goodness, but it isn't necessary, right? Either metaphysically or, uh, morally, right? There's some strains out there that I would say, you know, really emphasize a platonic view, right? Uh, or really take this principle of co- the good communicates itself and make it sound as if it was almost necessary, like that God couldn't help, yeah, right? uh, but but become incarnate or couldn't help, uh, but to save man. Um, and I, I think that that's not a place that we really want to go. I think 
Augustine and Thomas are, are, are sort of mapping out sort of the clearer and more evident way, which is to, to, to think, no, this was an act of generosity and freedom and grace. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, yeah. So you make that distinction between absolutely necessary. Well, no, because God is God and he could have accomplished the work of salvation in a number of ways as mm. he wanted to. Um, but, you know, uh, uh, given the conditions that we were in, mm-hmm. he mm-hmm. Uh, um, it, it, it became necessary for us in this way mm-hmm. uh, for us to right. uh, for us to receive our salvation in this way. And like you said, that 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 fittingness. Right. So mm-hmm. the debt, you know, the. The consequence of sin was mm-hmm. death. So it, it's right, consistent sure. that for Christ to pay our debt, that he would have to die. That mm-hmm. that's sure, fairly, sure. Uh, you know, we can follow that in our, yeah. in our, in our wee little right, logical right. brains. <laughs> right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I think is, uh, um, you know, death is um, the, the penalty, you know, that we all uh, deserve um, equally yeah. as, you know, sinners. Um, of course, there's also the pain, like the, you know, sort of the um, temporal punishments, right? Yeah. Uh, which are unequal, right? Uh, and another part of, uh, of sin, right? Uh, they're unequal because they're proportioned to our, our, um, uh, our, the degree to which we sin, right? Right. And the, and the gravity with which we have unrepentant sin, right? Um, so if you think about it, obviously that's a, a heavy matter. Um, again, God did not, have to save us and he didn't have to save us in that way in this way right but he did save us in this way he did save us and he did save us in this way and thomas says uh that you could say conditionally right with qualification uh this is what's you know this kind of distinction draw drives people crazy but you know there is such a thing as a conditional necessity right yeah (laughs) right uh is it absolutely necessary that my children clean their room no uh, if they want to go and play, is it necessary? Yes. Right. So on condition, if you want to play this afternoon, then you must clean your bedroom. Right. Yeah. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, right? absolutely. So, <laughs> <you know. laughs> That's right. So it's a conditional kind of necessity. And so, you know, Thomas distinguishes three, three reasons that make, um, that make it conditionally necessary. Uh, one on the part of man Mm-hmm. One on the part of Christ and one on part of God taken as a whole, uh, particularly with respect to God the Father. So um, uh, this is in question 46, article one. He says, first on our part, right, who have been delivered by his passion, according to John chapter three, the son of man must be lifted up. Notice the word must uh, be lifted up that whosoever believeth in him may not perish, but may have everlasting life. So on our part, right, a sacrifice had to be provided. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a sacrifice on behalf of man, right? Right. Uh, you know, this ties back, you know, with all throughout the Bible, right? That, you know, there is a sin offering, right? And this yeah. is, you know, we find this, of course, most dramatically, right, in Isaac, in the story of Isaac and Abraham, right? Where, you know, you have the, you know, Isaac... <laughs> is the potentially the the sacrifice and then god provides the lamb and then it's codified throughout the temple worship mm-hmm. uh uh you know uh of um the ancient jews right that there had to be something offered up on behalf of the people right, right. to god 
uh, in order for them to not perish, but have a remission of sin, right? A forgiveness of sin. In this case, right, if it's going to be really, you know, if it's going to be really sufficient, it has to be the case, right, that it's one of us, right? It's one of the human race. It's yeah. not a lamb. We, we call Jesus the lamb of God, but obviously he's, he's you know, um, he has a human nature, right? Not a lamb nature, right? <laughs> so, uh, you know, that that's what the, the, the lamb symbol was pointing to. Um, the second reason is on Christ's part. And I think this is really interesting. Uh, he says that um, on Christ's part, who merited the glory of being exalted through the lowliness of his passion. And this must, must be referred, um, I'm sorry, and to this must be referred Luke 24, ought not Christ to have suffered these things so to enter into his glory, right? I think it's so interesting to think about, right? Yeah. You know, the glory of Christ. Well, clearly, you know, um, let me ask you a trick question here, uh, Jason. Uh, when when Jesus was incarnate, did he stop being second person of the Holy Trinity? No. <laughs> okay. Really? <laughs> he remained a divine person? Well, he was always a divine person. <laughs> he's all wait yeah you got it <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah no that's a yeah that's a good question right yeah and, and it's one that people i've asked that too before and i've been asked yeah. this uh, uh you know this you know this very well you know the the idea was christ a divine or you know was was christ a human person some people will say yeah he was the greatest he did everything. No, he's he's a divine right. person, right? That's but right. he assumed right. a human of, nature. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of like the the scriptures are uh, inspired because they're inspiring. No, <laughs> <laughs> stop it, stop <laughs> it. Um, sorry, spreading error here. Yeah, that's right. Um, so, but what's really interesting here is, that, I mean, as a divine person, of course, you know, like on the um, um, the transfiguration, right? Christ reveals his glory there, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, and, 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 and just sort of an overwhelming way for, you know, uh, a time. Obviously, he already had glory, I guess, you know, which is kind of interesting, right? He already had glory as the second person of the Holy Trinity. There's something else he, uh, he receives here, though, right? He enters into an additional kind of glory, right, through um, meriting exaltation, in the lowliness of the cross, right? Yeah. So what, the way I'm thinking about this, and I think this is what Thomas was trying to get at, is through the cross, bringing about the remission of sin, the salvation of mankind, he merits an additional glory, a specific glory, a particular glory, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. The glory of being the savior, right? Um, of all mankind through this kind of lowliness, right? Uh, through uh, suffering on behalf of all of those who would be saved um, and thereby meriting a special kind of exaltation and glory, right? Uh, you know, you think about uh, the great, like a great warrior or a great champion, right? And the kinds of things that he might suffer on behalf of the kingdom or his people and the kind of glory, right? That he would receive from his people um in uh in response to right yeah. uh, what he had suffered does that make sense yeah absolutely and i think it's like you said you know this is one of those this part this part in saint thomas's answer it's it's interesting and it's uh the the idea that christ has to enter into suffering mm -hmm. 
an order so so as to enter into glory mm-hmm. you know that that part of it you know but he's the second person of the holy trinity he's you know <laughs> he's divine sure, How, he right. has this glory but mm-hmm. he has to also enter into this 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 suffering and you can really see where kind of the two elements of necessity i think come into play right. here right where yeah. you know he is god you know so is it absolutely necessary no mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. but um <clears throat> excuse me but because of the the story of the story of of salvation and the circumstances surrounding our sin the mm-hmm. the, the the sins of the world right mm-hmm. there's a certain necessity there mm-hmm. that that christ has to enter into right that's right yeah you know sure. yeah yeah so or yeah go ahead well, well, the thing I would say is, if you're going to put it into a conditional proposition yeah. here, right? I think it would say, if Christ is to be glorified as Savior, right? Mm. If Christ mm. is to be glorified as suffering Savior, then, right, He must merit it through the cross, right? Or through must merit it through some sort of uh, lethal suffering. Um, yeah. So I think that what's interesting to me about that is that indicates that that it's part of the divine plan that Christ be glorified as suffering savior. Right. Mm. Um, uh, and, and so Christ must go and die. Right. Uh, on behalf of the people. Um, I think that's a kind of requires you maybe to kind of think a little less like a 21st century American, a little <laughs> more like somebody from the ancient world, you know, yeah, where you kind of think less. about, you know, you, where you think about, you know, somebody going on behalf of them. I mean, not that this is absent from our own sure. know, way of thinking entirely. We, we think about soldiers on this part, sometimes in this way, uh, fallen soldiers. Uh, but it's especially, you know, important in ancient worlds. You think about the king and what the king has done, right? Or what yeah. the you know, great champion uh, uh, has done uh, on behalf of the, um, the people. It's really interesting, Jason, when you even really think about it, the idea of glory, right? That's just not something that's... Uh, I mean, I think actually people kind of want glory still and honor and praise, but we just don't talk about it that way, you know? Yeah, we don't uh, know in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But you know, this is very important and central to, I think, a lot of the ancient world in which sacred scripture was written, mm-hmm. uh, that the king ought to be glorified, right? That the, the champions of the people ought to be glorified. And I think what you have here, right, is the glorification of Christ as suffering savior right, uh, as conqueror of death, those mm-hmm. sorts of things, right, is a key part of um, understanding, right, what the the cross was, why he had to die, right? Yeah, and, and when you put it in historical terms as well, when you have the history of a people who are longing for salvation, mm-hmm. they're That's longing right. for a savior, yeah. right, right, they have these great uh, um, patriarchs they have these great mm-hmm. figures these great prophets and their right. their history is long and tired and mm-hmm. <laughs> finally uh-huh. finally you have you have this one who is mm-hmm. uh you know and this is where you can get into you know um the christology of it finally you have the one who is uh, uh fully man who can mm-hmm. um like, like we said, like, you know, make that, uh, make that sacrifice. The sacrifice right. has to come on our part. So finally you have somebody that's fully man 
who can make that sacrifice, who can apologize, mm-hmm. say they're sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also have someone who's fully God, uh, right. who actually has the ability to accomplish uh, the work of salvation that God, the Father, has ordained. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. right. So, right. so you know, uh, when you put it in the historical context as well, um, when it, in terms of glory, I mean, mm-hmm. this is where you're like, I, you know, like, you know, we're. I'm living in a period of history that my grandfather's 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 right. grandfather's, you know, sure. talked about, you know, you yeah. know, you know, yeah. you can read all the genealogies. They're there uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. about the, 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 the history of the, the people of Israel. Right. That's so the, right. Yeah. There, there's even, I think, you know, even like when you look at it from a historical perspective, like the, sure. the idea of glory is, is mm-hmm. needs needs to be there. Right. That's I right. think there's, Absolutely. yeah, there's a necessity to, uh, to the glory that's there. That's great. You know, and he, and on the third part, this just ties into what you were yeah. saying about, about uh, the salvation history, right. Or the kind of redemptive history that's stretched throughout the scriptures. Right. He says the third uh, conditional necessity is uh, uh, on God's part, whose determination regarding the passion of Christ foretold in the scriptures and prefigured in the observances of the old Testament had to be fulfilled. Yeah. Right? So now this is of course, something that's rather controversial, uh, among some theologians, right? Not St. Thomas. Um, and I would say also not Jesus, but <laughs> if you're going to pick sides, <laughs> right. did the scriptures foretell about Jesus, right? Did, they, yeah. did the Old Testament <clears throat> prophecies point to Jesus? Did Jesus fulfill the meaning of them? Um, were the the Pharisees and leaders of the Jewish people um, incorrect in their understanding of the scriptures, right? Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, the, the traditional position is yes, right? Well, that is that that the, the scriptures and the prophecies point to Jesus Christ, right? Uh, and so, you know, if God has... Um, revealed to put it again in a, in a conditional proposition sure if god has uh foretold the coming of a suffering dying savior then it is necessary yeah. <laughs> right, that there be a suffering and dying savior right so again what Thomas is bringing in front of us right is this uh i use that that idea of sort of dramatic narrative earlier that this is you know just like you were saying fulfillment language right yeah this is uh anticipation right and and sort of a um the glorification of christ in that anticipation you know jason sometimes people criticize thomas for not treating christ earlier in the summa right but i think they're they're misunderstanding the kind of the 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 literary form right yeah yeah yeah. up to there right i think he's setting the stage for for the entrance of Christ, right? Uh, when it matters most, right? Because all throughout the secunda, um, you know, the the prima secunda and the secunda secunda, you get the mora- you get morality, right? You get all the reasons that were wrong. You get law, right? Yeah. You know, right? You get the you know, and then we introduce right Christ the Savior, right? I think yeah, that makes and, perfect sense. Yeah, and that's I mean that that also follows just the the kind of the pedagogy of the Bible, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, of of you know of of God and creation, the law, um, mm-hmm. you know, and then the fulfillment of the law, right? That's right. That's um, right. you know, so it just you know following in 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 that way as well. So mm-hmm. 
So that's good. So we so we've gone through kind of those those uh, three aspects. So on the part of man, on the part of Christ, and on the and on God's part of uh, kind of this this idea of conditionally necessary uh, that right. Christ. I mean, it's uh, gone through this. God fulfilling his promises, right? I mean, what, yeah. what is more essential to the scripture, right? Uh, than that God, you know, makes these promises, these forms, this covenant, right? And he fulfills the covenant, right? I mean, yeah. that's the key, right? Uh, throughout scripture. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and again, I mean, God is not to sound like cliche or, or whatever, but, you know, God is, you know, the storyteller, right? right. Mm-hmm. So, so there, there's going to, you know, if God foretells all of these things, you know, eventually uh, they will come to pass. That's right. uh, um, and, and if they don't, you know, it, it will leave you or if something else completely out of nowhere happens, I mean, <laughs> and, and we even, we even know this of like just regular movies and stories, right? Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. if you watch, you know, movies where all of a sudden towards the end, something that you couldn't even have predicted, it's right, not that right, great of right. a movie or not that yeah. you're like, it has nothing to do with what went beforehand. Yeah. 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 There was a, there was an old show called uh, lost where in the middle it was like it was it was several yeah. seasons eight nine i don't know how many seasons or whatever yeah. but there was a writer strike in the middle of it and so all the original writers left and the new ones came uh, in and the story great. just twisted turned and, and all the fans were like what the heck is going on like people were because there was there were so many inconsistencies with certain parts of the stories and it it, it, it was a mess you know so i mean like they had to do so much repair anyways long story short like you know, we know when, you know, uh, those aspects of the story, they, they, that they, when they're, when they're for, uh, when they're being foretold right, and they come right. to, when they come to fruition, when they come this mm-hmm. way, that God, if God does that, which he did in the old Testament, mm-hmm. right. Uh, uh, that will come to pass right. uh, period, yep. you know? And yep. so that's where that, you know, uh, necessary on God's part, right. Sure. Um, Absolutely. Comes into place. Um yeah, so so that, that helps yeah, us, I ahead. think, to understand, yeah, necessity, the ne- uh, like in what sense we can say, right? So there's a sense that we shouldn't say that it was necessary that God, that God died or Christ, that Christ died. But that, but in, in another sense, right, we can say, well, there are three reasons, right, yeah. why uh, Christ had to die uh, in a qualified sense or a conditional sense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then we can think, I think, also another way to approach the question why did Christ have to die is to look at the effects of Christ's passion and death, right? Yeah. Those are really kind of the ends, the goals, right? For which uh, Christ dies. And um, Thomas lays those out uh, very succinctly in 46.3. And then in question 49 goes on to explain it in more to de- more detail. Mm-hmm. Right. So in 46.3, so again, we're in question 46, article three, he says, you know, he, he asks the question whether whether there was a means more suitable, right, yeah. uh, for the redemption. And you know, he says, no, this was the, this was this was suitable for for many reasons, right. And one of the most important, right, uh, kind of central one here, is he says, thirdly, because Christ by his passion, not only delivered man from sin. So notice he delivered man from sin. He not only did that, mm-hmm. but also merited justifying grace right for him and the glory of bliss right so really interesting here right we get 
Christ meriting. So now we're in justice language, right? Yeah. Right. This is mer- this is justice language. Christ, you know, meriting three things: remission of sin. Right. So you think about the sin, original sin being taken away, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, okay. Um, uh, remission of sin, also remission of actual sins. Right. The remission of, uh, he also merited um, justifying grace. Okay. And uh, glory. Right. So those are three amazing, like, I mean, wow. Okay. Like that's what he, and again, we go back to the exaltation of Christ. This is what he has merited for us in his death. What yeah. did he, you know, so we can think only, not only about his suffering and death, but what did that bring his people? Right. What well, brought his people remission of sin, right. Justifying grace. So that not only did we lack sin, right. Or, or that the sin is remitted to us, but in addition, become holy, right. In addition, become just and finally merited glory for us as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not, it's not good enough for us just to be kind of, or, or the, the, the act of forgiving our sins doesn't make us justified before God. That's right. Right. That's right. Yeah. It just yeah, means we, we don't suffer the, it just means we don't suffer the, the, the penalty. Right. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But that doesn't yet bring us to the reward. Right. That's right. It's so, really interesting in the council of Trent, you know, when they talk about this, right. Justification yeah. is a transition to a new state. Right? Yeah. And so it, it, and it does involve as part of it, the remission of sin, mm-hmm. but it also involves, right. The real rectification, right. Uh, of the human person in his relationship right uh to god right? yeah and i think this leads into that third aspect you know so right once the sin is forgiven once uh this uh we have become justified what do we share in well that's right the glory of god that's right sharing his glory right again that's one of those things we we just don't talk about enough I, maybe it's because it's it's just hard for us or maybe it embarrasses us or something but yeah that you know um glory as a destination right that that should be the destination of every saint right is that we are uh we're we're aiming for glory right as one of my uh a friend of mine who's also a priest says you know we're not slogging it out for mediocrity right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? yeah. we want to race to glory right <laughs> and um uh you know sharing in the glory of god right uh you know certainly of course you know avoiding hell is a really good motive but the other side of that right is is is, as you say share it coming to share in god's glory something we couldn't merit for ourselves though right yeah exactly you know like that's not something even if we were really good we couldn't even if you had like even if adam had been really good i don't think you can strictly speak of him meriting participation in god's own glory yeah yeah, that'd yeah. be. I, I, yeah, I think that would be difficult uh, to say, and that's why there has to be that middle piece of justification. Mm-hmm. There has that's to right. be yeah. that that, like you said, that transitioning to to a new mm-hmm. state. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, so, so think, yeah, yeah go, ahead. go ahead. So when we think about exalting Christ in His crucifixion, right? You know, I'd like us to think about these three things, and so we can think about the death part, right, that He didn't deserve, but then we can also think about these three things, right that he merited for us through his suffering, through his endurance, right? And those, of course, again, redound to his exaltation, right? Yeah. We look at what he's gotten for us, right? The precious gift of forgiveness, the precious gift of 
justification and then finally uh the reward of uh glory a reward that we don't we you know like that he really got for us right or really made available for us right um i think that's 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 you know that redounds again to the glory of christ yeah yeah so maybe here's a bad analogy that we can look at so uh, um, so you have, you know, a, a football, <laughs> it's always good analogy. to have bad analogy. Bad analogy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, all right. So, so you Is have Trinity a, like a clover. Oh gosh. Yeah. No, Pat, come on, Patrick. Um, but yeah, we, so, so when you have, you know, you have a, a, a winning football team who, mm-hmm. who decides, uh, um, you know, to, to bring up the loser. To not only, re, you know, not only say, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you didn't, you know, you're not going to suffer the, 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 the penalty of being the loser. We're going to bring uh, you up. And, and it's not just so you, that you can sit on the sideline and watch us glory in our win, uh, but, you know, uh, you're coming to the party with us. You know, you're coming, yeah, you're, sure. yeah. you're, you're part of that uh, in some, uh, yeah, I don't know exactly how they would bring them into that, but you know what I mean? But, <laughs> sure, uh, sure. but, but I mean, it really is a, a, it's not like a, and this is one thing that we have to remember as well. You know, it's not this kind of symbolic sharing in God's glory where God's going to sit there and say, I know you really didn't do anything, but you know, here's the, you know, here's the crumbs that have fallen from my table. Like, no, it is, it's a full share. I mean, it's like prodigal son share. Like you That's get, right. you right. get the, the, the fatted calf, you get the, mm-hmm. the, the wine as if you're the victor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that it's, it's a, it's a full share in it that way. It's, you know, right. a real share. It's not yeah. just a symbolic thing or, or, or some nicety or something like yeah, that. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a real, it's a real share in it. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so then in 49, um, one, so article one, 49, article three and 49, mm-hmm. article six, he goes through, uh, some of these elements in a little more detail. Right. Um, so I think maybe we should just kind of look at those pieces here. Sure. Um, in 40, uh, so in article one of question 49, he's asking about um, the remission of sin. So we already know, right. You know, we say, this is interesting, you know, uh, and, 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 I, and I try to press catechist on this point. We say Christ died for our sins. What does mm-hmm. that mean? Like, why, why, what does it mean to say he died for our sins like because i sinned christ died i mean okay maybe that's what we mean but but why explain that because yeah. it doesn't make sense on the face of it right that is you know normally you know if one of my kids was to do something wrong and i was to punish one who didn't you know like, the kid like hey what's up why, yeah. why am i being punished you know if one kid in a class earns an f on their paper, but I give it to the, the F to somebody else. Usually you'd say this doesn't make any sense. Like it's unjust. Right. So yeah, what or, does it or, mean that Christ died for our sins, you know? Yeah. Or even the, the, the degree, like, you know, I don't think my sins were, you know, I, you know, and most people could probably would, would probably say this, like, okay, I don't, I think my sins were, you know, kind of bad, but I don't think they really <laughs> deserve death. I mean, that seems a little extreme. You know? <laughs> why, why is that fitting? Why is that there? Yeah. yeah. So the uh, with the in, in this in the body here, he tries to give an explanation. So he says, secondly, Christ's passion causes forgiveness of sins by way of redemption, right? Yeah. Um, so you think about redemption. 
redemption is really again kind of contract language right yeah it's kind of law language you know you redeem something right um you know don't we talk about like maybe redeeming warranties or something like that now still <laughs> something like that you know but you're redeeming like it involves some kind of, something kind of legal right yeah yeah something to do with justice and so he says for since he is our head now that's really important to notice all right then by the passion which he endured from love and obedience, he delivered us as his members from our sins, as by the price of his passion. In the same way as if a man by the good industry of his hands were to redeem himself from a sin committed with his feet, for just as the natural body is one, though made up of diverse members, so the whole church, Christ's mystic body, is reckoned as one person with its head, which is Christ. Uh, that's a, that's almost like probably a dissertation right there, man. Yeah, <laughs> you know, actually trying to unpack all that. Uh, I'll just, uh, I mean, what are your initial impressions there, Jason? Well, the connection between the church and Christ's passion um, that he quickly gets mm. to—that's, I find, I find yeah. that to just be yeah. brilliant. I mean, most of the time when you, you know, when we when we get into ecclesiology and things like that, we talk about the bride of Christ. We talk about, you know. We use many different um, uh, titles and things like that, but he directly, you know, corrects, mm -hmm. uh, uh, connects it to the the merits of Christ's passion. I mean, that's fascinating. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think one one thing that you could think about: would there be a church without Christ's passion? Uh, and I, I kind of want to say no. I think to fully explain that would take some work. Yeah. Um, but uh, I want to say no, like that Christ's passion or the anticipation of his passion um, is requisite for the existence of his actual body. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, so earlier in the, in the tertiary pars, Thomas talks about in the section on the incarnation. It's interesting. He talks about the grace of headship, that this is something uh, we don't think too often about the graces of Christ. Right. Yeah. And again, this goes with, I think, Thomas's really full orbed um, view of the incarnation. Right. And, and so, you know, the human nature that Christ takes on, uh, obviously, that's not natural. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Obviously, this is a graced state for Christ assumed human nature. Yeah. Does that make sense? And, right? Christ, and Christ alone. That's right. That's right. So that human nature that he takes from uh, the, the body of Mary, right. And assumes to his divine person, right. Um, that is a supernatural work. Right. Um, and along goes along with several other supernatural things, including being that, that it's a grace to that nature, assumed nature to be head. Right. Yeah. Does, does that make sense? Right. And now it belongs to the divine person by intrinsically per se. Right. But it belongs by grace, right. By a supernatural work, right. To the assumed human nature. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think one of the clearest um, places or the place that pops into my head, it's a, you know, one of my uh, just favorite stories in sacred scripture is the conversion of Saul. Um, and, and I always found it interesting, uh, and I, it was one of the most kind of really 
powerful scriptural passages for the kind of uh, the church. Uh, mm-hmm. And that was, you know, in the conversion story of Saul, right? Saul's knocked to the ground. Uh, there's the the flash of light. And he says, uh, um, uh, you know, who are you, Lord? And he, mm-hmm. or he says, you know, Saul, Saul. He mm-hmm. says, why do you persecute me? He doesn't oh, say, good. Saul, Saul, yeah. why do you persecute my church? Or uh-huh. Saul, why are you persecuting those people, sure. those Christians, mm-hmm. my people? Uh-huh. Right, he right. identifies that body of believers mm-hmm. as himself. Mm-hmm. And he says, you know, just in case, I guess, Saul wasn't listening. He says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Right. So you, you right. have this, I, I think you, and, and again, I think you can see the, 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 the seed there of a lot of uh, St. Paul's theology from right. that experience. Absolutely. But yeah. the, the, the self-identification of Christ as the church, That's right. um, That's I think, right. and it comes out here in, in St. Thomas. Uh, very I think, clearly. You know, yeah, very clearly. And, and I think it's something that, that, you know, as Catholics, we need to, many times, many times I think we, we want to talk about all the great things except for the church. <laughs> you know, are we? And then there's well, yeah. Part of it is you become a member of the church. Yeah, yeah. You know, like sometimes uh-huh. I think the ecclesiology can be weak, or, or uh-huh. you know, um, mm-hmm. yeah, somewhat not as strongly as connected as it actually is, or as That's even right. as Saint Thomas right. puts it here. That's right. Know? Yeah, and, and I think the thing is, he suffers for us, meaning that he he redeems us, right who are part of him, right? I think that's what it means for him to die for our sins, right? Um, Now, to be sure, you want to, you know, qualify here and say there's a sense in which, of course, he dies for the sins of all, right? But at the same time, you want to say those who are actually redeemed by his passion are those who are united to him in the church, Right. Um, I think there's actually see there's a deep ecclesiological point there, right? You yeah. know uh, that that Thomas I think is bringing out, uh, so that when when he's because he's joined to us, mm-hmm. he's dying for us, suffering for us who are his members, right, and thereby redeeming his members. What were you gonna say, Jason? Yeah, well, I was gonna say, and you, the, the the language here is uh, again fascinating, and we'll we'll put all this in the show notes for our listeners. Um, so, I mean, to, to say, you know, yes, Christ died for all sins, but the language St. Thomas uses here is Christ's passion causes that's forgiveness right. of sins by way of redemption, uh-huh. right? That's so right. it's not yeah. just saying kind of this general mm-hmm. kind of objective, mm-hmm. right, uh, salvation mm-hmm. or something like that, where, yes, Christ died for all the sins, but he's talking about the, the causing of forgiveness of sins by way of redemption. Mm-hmm, so there's mm-hmm. some, some qualification there. That's right. That's um, right. Yeah. Uh, again, pointing to, uh, as it says here, uh, the, the whole church, Christ's mystic body. That's right. Yeah. So, as, uh, you know, to go back to our theme of exaltation, how much should the church exalt in Christ, right? When we know that we've been redeemed, our salvation caused, as you put it, as his members. Right? Yeah, you know it's it's in that that union uh, with him as being part of his mystic body, right? Uh, that we uh, receive that. Now he goes on really, Jason expands on this, which I think is really cool uh, when he talks about the remission of punishment. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we tend to kind of sometimes lump these two together: forgiveness of sins and remission of punishment. But Thomas, of course, 
keen eye for distinctions yep (laughs) recognizes there's a difference between the evil done right uh the very thing done and the punishment that is proportioned to that evil right Mm -hmm. um so you think about the sin um sin by its very nature that turns us from god Mm -hmm. you know if it's a moral sin essentially if it's a um um venial sin than partially or imperfectly right um but along with that goes temporal punishments right that is proportionate punishments that are due injustice right to us um including the temporal punishments of hell right so uh thomas addresses this right as well this is in article three he says first of all uh, so his answer is yes we um christ um death brings the remission of the punishment of sin again why Yep. Right, because it's like, well, he didn't. He's not being punished like he did anything <laughs> wrong, right? Um, it says, well, first of all, directly, namely, inasmuch as Christ's passion was was sufficient and superabundant, abundant. Notice this word, satisfaction. I don't have the Latin in front of me right here, but I'm yeah. sure that the Latin term there is satisfac- uh, satisfactio, right? And and that what well, you know again, this is this is judge justice language, right? Mm-hmm sins of the whole human race okay so it was sufficient and super abundant for satisfaction of the sins of the whole human race as the death of christ is of such a high value mm-hmm. right uh that it pays the debt oh the debt of punishment owed to each of us mm-hmm. for our sins but when sufficient satisfaction has been paid the debt of punishment is abolished so he paid enough for the whole human race now Again, this is a matter of contemporary controversy, right? Does it actually remit the sin of every human being, regardless of other considerations, uh, the debt of punishment, regardless of every, of, of all other considerations? What do you think, Jason? Yeah, no. Yeah, so yeah, yeah Thomas doesn't think so it, yeah. either. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. I mean that um, you know it doesn't remit the punishment of all. But now, given what we've already talked about we should be able to anticipate his explanation, right? It's only going to pay for the remission of punishment for those who are united to him as part of his body, right? Again, Thomas is being very consistent here, right? This is why I think, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, these matters are not my area of expertise. I, I know them, but I think a lot of work needs to be done here in bringing out the role of union with Christ in both Thomas's ecclesiology and his theology of the cross, right? His understanding mm-hmm. of atonement mm-hmm. and justification, right? Uh, because both of those are at work here. And he explains this in reply to the third objection. Yeah. Does uh, Christ's satisfaction works its effect in us? How? In as much as we are incorporated with him, incorporated, right? In the body, right? Becoming part of his corpus, Right as the members with their head as stated above article one. Now the members must be conformed to their head. So here we've already given us the basic principle, right? Yeah. I'm not going to go through reading all of that, but there's, I, again, this is third part question 49, article three, reply to the third objection. We benefit from that. That is our sins get paid. The punishment gets paid by being his uh, members, right? And he goes on to say later here and elsewhere in this sort of treatise that it's through um, faith working in charity and yeah. sacrament, right? So we talk, well, what we would call living faith, right? 
um, you know, the kind of faith that um, has charity and hope attached to it, right? Uh, in, and, and in the use of the sacraments, that is what connects us and unites us to Christ, right? That's what incorporates us up into Christ, right? And then all of those benefits of his passion and death flow into us, right? And we, of course, exalt our head, right? Yep. Who has done all this work for us? Yeah, and this—I mean, this—this this should be, you know, to to our listeners, you should be thinking a lot here of baptism, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the necessity of it, um, mm-hmm. because of what it actually does. Like I, the way I always explain it is, there are no followers of Christ in heaven. You can't you can't be a follower of Christ and get into heaven. You have to actually be incorporated into his body. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, the God has given us, you know, the, the, uh, the means to do that, namely baptism, right? Mm-hmm. The, the ordinary means of salvation. This is mm-hmm. how, this is the only way we know right. how to be incorporated into his body. This is, mm-hmm. you know, can God work outside of this? Sure. Um, but this is the way that he has, has, has told us. And this is the way that uh, in faith that we respond to him by being incorporated into him. And that's why, I mean, so much of, of um, because, because of that effect of baptism, there's so much in the church that draws its beginning from baptism. So when you're talking about like issues about canon law, mm-hmm. they bring up baptism. You have right, certain right, rights, right. you have certain things. When you're talking about sure. other sacraments, baptism, even in just the clerical things that you do at the parish, right? right. We sure. keep sacramental records. You have a church <laughs> <Yes>. of baptism. <laughs> you have to notify churches of baptism. I had to do this. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, fill out all these cards and try to find some church in Ethiopia. I mean, it was just, it's, <laughs> it's, it's crazy, but it, but it, but it's so important. All these things. So, so much of it goes, you know, goes back to baptism because of this, because of this effect of incorporation into Christ. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this, uh, uh, like you said, as, as um, St. Thomas, St. Thomas is pointing to this uh, Christ satisfaction has that effect in right. um, as much as we are incorporated into him. So baptism brings us into that. But like you said, uh, the, the, the faith working in charity mm-hmm. um, incorporates us deeper. Uh, we become, yeah, sure. uh, more intimate with Christ mm-hmm. in that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and part of that also is right to share in that, to share in that glory, to, to glorify in, uh, in the head. Right. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Glorify Christ, our head, right. Who's, who's sort of, I, I like to think about it as him kind of going before us or ahead yeah. of us, you know, at the front, uh, you know, leading us into right. Uh, the kingdom of God. Um, um, but it's very definitely, you know, by, by his work and by our, you know, being part of uh, his body, right. That, that we have that, that benefit um, ourselves. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot here to, to think about and to, to, you know, um, to recognize as important. I think Thomas is bringing out a lot of uh, rich theology, especially you know, you'd say with baptism, you know, it's a very traditional thing to refer to baptism as the, the sacrament of faith, yeah. Uh, you sort of get that language uh, in the in the history of the church, um, 
And so there's sort of a tie in there. You think about, you know, coming up on Easter Vigil, right? We have adult baptisms, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with our, our catechumens, right? Which is kind of interesting, you know. Uh, obviously, it's the same sacrament, but it sort of has a slightly different feel or look, right, yeah. at Easter Vigil. Um, it's a more uh, full there. symbol, I'll say that. Yeah, right, right, right. I mean, for one thing, you have people with lots of actual sins, yeah. <laughs> right? I'm not trying to talk down any catechumens or anything. I'm just saying, you know, if you're, uh, you know, a 30-year-old man versus a six-month-old, <laughs> you know, child, yeah. you'd be more actual sin right there. Uh, and so, um, yeah, it does have that kind of fuller kind of manifestation, right? Yeah. Uh, and you have, you know, you have the adult, the adult faith of the one being baptized, um that's there right whereas you know the parents and the godparents supply that for the child and baptism right so there are some things there that kind of i think bring that out even more and you know it's it's, it is interesting that our catechumens come in at the at the at the most solemn mass of the whole year right you know um you know that's 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 very again very fitting right yeah and and it follows and it follows it follows good friday you know, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. It, the, the, you know, the, the Easter vigil is part of the triduum, mm-hmm, right. You know, mm-hmm. and, and even when you, you know, look at, uh, in, you know, John's gospel where Jesus says, you know, um, right. Uh, when I am lifted up, right. Sure. I will draw all people to myself. Right. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. that, that, that idea of, of, you know, his exaltation, right. Yeah. Is, is going to be the way that he, um, draws people to himself. Well, that ex- exaltation though is the cross. That's right. Sure. Which is painful. And that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, so we should wrap up here, I guess, just yeah. uh, with uh, just looking briefly here. Uh, I'll just summarize uh, what he has to say in Article Six, where he focuses explicitly on um, the idea that one of the effects of the passion is the exaltation of Christ. We've yeah. already anticipated this right earlier. Sorry, some about the condition. <laughs> Uh, no, 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 because <laughs> Thomas brings this up, right? It's, which it's interesting. It's obviously a main theme for him, right? Is that uh, exaltation is one of the conditional reasons why it was, as we say, exaltation was given is one of the things that made the cross conditionally necessary. necessary. Yeah. Right. You know, which that's significant, right? And here Thomas is saying this is one of the main effects mm-hmm. that when we think about the effects of the cross, this is one of the main things we should think about. And it's it is his exaltation. Now he talks about exaltation as someone being praised for unjustly losing a good in a right action, <laughs> right? So you think about right, like somebody again. A soldier contesting in a just war yeah. might have to do sort of things that were undignified, might have to be uh, harmed, might get captured and humiliated, right? Might be uh, wounded, might even be killed, right? All those sorts of things, right? That's the kind of thing he has in mind, right? And so what do we do with such people? Well, when they return to us, when they're rescued, we tend to praise them, yeah. right? We tend to, to give them honors, and this is sort of the kind of thing. So Christ, who didn't deserve any humiliation, didn't deserve any pain or anything like that, took all that on for us, right? It's appropriate that we return some kind of honor and praise for that suffering he endured in a right and good action. Right? Sure. 
And so he points out four concrete things that we can think about here uh, in, in, in how Christ was glorified, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that one of them really, really interesting is the resurrection is itself one, a glorification and exaltation of Christ, right? Yeah. You mean you think about uh, the victory that that symbolizes, right? The power and goodness and majesty that are made manifest in Christ's resurrection, right? Um, that is one of his exaltations, right? As he, you know, you know, the, I mean, you think about these pathetic, I mean, I actually, I kind of have this, like, I, I love the Romans, uh, like the, like, I just love Romans. They're great. I love the Roman, the history of the Roman empire and all that, but they're also kind of, you know, like here they are, they're like, Oh, we're the Romans, you know, <laughs> you know, they got these centurions around the tomb. We've sealed it up and everybody trusts that we're going to make sure nothing goes astray. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, boom. Right. Right. He, he, you know, he rises from the dead. Um, that's an amazing exaltation, right. Of Christ. Yeah. His ascension into heaven. Right. Uh, which manifest uh, his Godhead. Right. Um, in um, oh, his power. Right. Uh, his sitting at the right hand of the father. Right. Again, that's a position that only belongs to the son. I mean, that's a great indication. Right. Of uh, Christ's unique position. Right. And manifest his divinity. Mm-hmm. And then finally, uh, his uh, being granted judiciary power. Right. So that he now Christ. This is really interesting the incarnate son of God, right? Jesus Christ um, is the judge of the world, right? And is is the king of the world um, at the end of this, right? Yeah, he yeah. is glorified in that, right? Uh, and so, you know, it's, it is Jesus, right? Who will judge us. And it is Jesus who will judge the world. Um, and I think that, you know, that's part of his glory too, though, right? That's something that sometimes we kind of forget, right? Is that the universal and particular judgment are exaltations and glorifications of Jesus Christ. Yeah, that we don't think of it that way. <laughs> <laughs> when you think about it, he's overcoming all, like all yeah. will bow, right? And all will exalt in the name, all will At proclaim, the like, magnify the name yeah. of Jesus, you know? I mean, it's just there, right? And, uh, and and so one of the things that I really like about this, and sometimes it's this, this isn't brought out, I think, with its full vigor in the work of St. Thomas, mm-hmm. is the degree to which the glory of Jesus Christ right, is a thread that runs through all of these issues, right? It's not the only thing, I'm not trying sure. to overstate it, but it is a, a very important theme uh, throughout all of it. Right, and I, well, and I think it's something because I think, I think it's something important for us to, to keep in mind and to even meditate on because so much, and, and again, I'm coming a lot from the catechetical world, you know, so much of what, what I see going on and stuff it's it, you know we want to bring the it brings christ down mm. um to where our relationship with him is you know not yeah. not to the level of like buddy christ but but it's to the level of you know the you know our best friend and, and it's it's very horizontal right mm-hmm. um but there's this there's this ver- we cannot ignore that vertical dimension and yeah. there has to be um the and in, in St. Thomas, you know, keeps it there that that right. Yes, we're in relationship, but we need to be in right relationship with Christ. Mm-hmm. And part mm-hmm. of that is recognizing him as head 
and right. uh, uh, and exalting and glorifying yeah. that. And, and you know, uh, because, you know, in many of the analogies we use, you know, uh, whether, you know, Jesus is my is like my spouse, things like, well, I don't exalt my wife like I'm mm-hmm. going to exalt my king. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so the, the analogies that we use quickly fall apart. And so yeah. I think the, the, these elements that, that, like you said, the, that, uh, St. Thomas brings up here and it's in, you know, awkward language that we don't use and, and, uh, <laughs> you know, images that we don't, we don't always hold in our mind or that don't come sure. natural to us as Americans or even Westerners mm-hmm. in the 21st century and stuff like that. Uh, it, it's good for us to, to keep that, I think to, to keep that there and to think about it. And honestly, I don't know, just, just simply to me, like, I, I, I think you could take real pride in a good way, right. Sure. In giving God glory. Right. And, and, and in doing that and giving what is due to him, that this is what is due. So, I mean, it falls even in under justice, right? Oh yeah. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Well, there's a lot there, Dr. Smith, and uh, I think we've given our listeners a, a lot to think about, hopefully a little bit to meditate on. Uh, and so, like I said, we'll put all these questions um, from uh, St. Thomas's uh, Tertia Pars uh, in the show notes for you to go read, especially here before uh, Holy Week and even as we enter into Easter, uh, uh, to put everything into context and to uh, really exalt Christ uh, as the head of our body, as the head of his mystical body, the church. Um, and to be thankful for the gift that he's given us, the, uh, the forgiveness of sins, the remission of punishment, and also uh, this glory. Until next time, God bless.